real quick. I just want to show these guys. Oh, you didn't bring them. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Tom, you do a lot. I know I hit you with a ton of stuff, so thank you for, for all you do. I just wanted to show you pictures because uh, the pastors and I went up another mountain this week. We went, we went up Props, Prospect Mountain, and uh, we established the second altar in Estes Park. It was an altar dedicated to the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we're building a hedge around our town, pushing back darkness and calling on righteousness. And we're doing it across denominational lines. The Baptists were there. The Evangelical Free were there. The Pentecostals were there. <laughs> the the uh, Anglicans were there. And the Catholic priest was there. <laughs> and the Christian church was there. And uh, God is doing amazing work in unity among the pastors. Is that awesome or what, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm always looking for these subtle uh, affirmations of God's blessing. And yesterday the worship team was over practicing. Every year I make this bread called panna dolce, okay? Panna dolce, traditional Italian sweet bread. Panna, bread, dolce, sweet, right? And I never can get it to rise, ever. So Valerie has to step in. After all my effort, she gets the bread. She's like Jesus, you know, arise, dear bread. <laughs> and it rises. Well, yesterday, uh, Valerie was going to make this bread while the worship team was practicing, and she got invited to, to join them. Aren't you glad about that? So she asked me if I'd make the pizza dough, and can you believe it? The dough rose. Oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I looked at the list of songs Mark was doing, but I, prior to that, I was compelled to do Blessed Assurance. And I just told Mark, hey, if I do a hymn, that's who I am. And uh, <laughs> I had no idea he was planning to play Blessed Assurance. And so this morning I said, wow, that just satisfies what God told me to do. And that is so cool. So love those kind of confirmations. Ephesians chapter 6, glad to see you. Good morning, Summit Church. If you're a guest and you're joining us today, I just want to welcome you. I'm Michael Dascoli, the senior pastor here. And uh, I, I do like our guests to know, uh, first off, we only do communion on the first Sunday of the month, okay? So that's part of our, our tradition. And uh, we do teach the Bible one book at a time, and this is how we are currently in this major study of the book of Ephesians. But we're coming to the end of, of Ephesians, and today we actually approach the final section of, of our study. Chapters 1 through 3 of, of the book talk largely about where we sit positionally in Christ. And if the book of Ephesians should do anything for us, it should help us to understand who we are in Christ, the very sons of God. It should help us to understand what is ours in Christ. He has put all of his resources, all of his power, all of his love, everything that he has at our disposal in order that we might use it as we do life in this fallen world and use it for his glory. And I just am concerned that, that too often in the church, the emphasis is, is too much on where, on how you walk with Christ and not enough about where you sit positionally with Christ. And what that does is, is it produces another performance-based religion. And what we don't need is another performance-based religion. Christianity is not that. Christianity recognizes that we can't be good enough, we can't be strong enough. Okay? But God is good enough, and God is strong enough, and he has made a way. And so it's out of that that we sit secure in Christ. In fact, the verses I think that express it well in those chapters are from chapter 2, 
verses 6 and 7, and I'd like you to read those verses with me. They're on the screen. Let's read them together. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So the application there is, is to learn to sit, to learn to rest secure in what Christ has provided. Because of his great kindness, he has made a way for us to have a relationship with God, and he's given us the power and the resources to begin living that relationship out. Then, once we know where we sit positionally with Christ, it's then that we begin to walk it out. And again, it's about the glory of God. It's about him empowering us in our position so that we can go forth and do his perfect will. And I think the verses that express that well summarize it are chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So I'd like you to read these with me. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And here I just have to emphasize that each and every one of you has a unique calling in Jesus Christ. And it kind of makes me want to gag, makes me want to puke when we talk about the highest calling so that we can take certain men who have achieved certain titles and put them up somewhere so that we can say, oh, we're doing God's work that way and thus disqualify ourselves from participating in God's business. But me as pastor and my calling is to do everything I can to equip you, to encourage you, to build you up so that you can go forth and do the very things of God. But primarily, our walk with Christ has to do with our relationship with one another. If you don't get anything else, learn to love your neighbor. Love those around you, and in that, fulfill the very laws of Christ. But in that, too, there are some things that we need to recognize our foolishness, harmful things, things that don't do us any good, don't do any good as far as the kingdom, eternal kingdom goes. And these are things that we must begin to walk away from because we want our lives to now count for the glory of God. So we don't just kind of flit haphazardly along uh, just doing whatever we please. To believe in Christ is to believe he's king and to surrender to his lordship. Okay, so to say you believe and then do whatever you want is not believing at all, okay? Just uh, patronizing Jesus, and that won't get you anywhere. And the application here is how is your walk? How are you doing in this area of kindness? Are you being wise as you go through life? And then begin to recognize those areas of your life where you tend to struggle, where you tend to take control. Surrender those areas of your life to him. Just agree with him that these are areas you struggle. Surrender to him and ask him to take his rightful place on the throne of your heart. So this now takes us to our third position in our study, chapter 6, verse 10. So that second section took us through chapter 4, then chapter 6, verse 9. And so we now come to 6, verse 10, where we learn about where we should stand in Christ. Sit, walk, stand. That's what the book of Ephesians is all about. And it's here that the Bible begins to address 
that there are very real forces at work that literally hate Jesus Christ and hate anything or anyone associated with Jesus Christ. And you're going to hear this from me just loud and clear, and you need to hear it. The Christian free life is not a problem-free life. Did you hear that? The Christian free life is not a problem-free life. There are those who'd like to tell you that it's supposed to be a problem-free life, and if you're having troubles, there must be some area of disobedience in your life. And I just want to say to that, baloney. Because when you align yourself with Jesus Christ, you have disaligned yourself with a whole bunch of stuff, people and forces as well, that will do everything in their power to oppose you. Okay, and one of the verses that spoke to me this week loudly was uh, John 16, 33, where Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take heart. Be of good cheer. And what are those last words that Jesus said? Absolutely. I have overcome the world. And so I'm reading that verse, and then I get this statement that I've been carrying around with me all week because I recognize it's an area of my life that God wants to build up and strengthen. And the quote goes like this. Give up the illusion that you somehow deserve a problem-free life this side of heaven. <laughs> Did you hear that? Do you need to hear it again? Huh? Give up the illusion that you somehow deserve a problem-free life this side of heaven. It's a fallen world. In a fallen world, bad things happen to even God's people, our hope is not in the stuff of this world, but our hope is in Christ himself, and our hope is in the eternal coming kingdom, and we want as many people as possible to get ready for that brand new day. Amen? All right, so now we come to chapter 6, verse 10. I just want to pause right here, and I want you to begin to cast your cares on the Lord. I know that, as I said, it's not a problem for your life. You've got people that you are burdened for, situations you are burdened for, stuff in your own life, stuff in our world. I'm just going to pause. Cast your cares on the Lord. pray for that American pastor in Iran that's in prison. Give him strength. Give him boldness to preach Christ. Bless his family in his absence. We think about Israel's actions against Syria. Syria is trying to bring in artillery against Israel. Bless Israel, we pray. Pray for your people throughout the earth, Lord. Encourage their hearts. Now consider the state of your listening ears. Are you ready to hear from Christ? Or have you already put up defenses, stubbornness, intellect, pride? God leaves it up to you to prepare your heart for what he has to say to you. Speak, Lord.
teach us, Holy Spirit. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. 6 verse 10. Finally. Could be in conclusion. Because what we are about to read is the point of everything we have read thus far. It's where you sit in Christ. It's how you walk with Christ that brings you to this place that you can now stand for Christ. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Did you hear it? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Would you say it with me? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Would you turn to someone next to you and tell them, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is a summons. It's a summons to all believers everywhere. To be about that one very thing. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. But praise the Lord. In Philippians 4, 13, we can declare, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Our strength comes from the Lord. It's not from ourselves. We must keep our focus on him. We must be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, not for our own sakes, but also for the sakes of those who are still in darkness. And for the reality that there are still some very real evil forces at work in opposition to the things of God. And God wants us to participate in pushing these, uh, these, uh, these things back. It's a theme that God has used all through history. In fact, I'm wondering if next fall I might begin a study of Joshua. Where he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. And do a study on overcoming fear. So we'll see how God, God leads in all that. But life has a way of throwing giants in our path. Life has a way of, of throwing circumstances in our path. Life has a way of catching us off guard and trying to trip us up. But God simply says, keep your eyes on me. In fact, what's the one application around here that surpasses all other applications? Don't forget it. In fact, let's read Psalm 121, 1 and 2 together. Would you read it with me? I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Not just a piece of it, but the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And yes, I believe there's a very real devil. Okay, But in Christ, we don't need to be afraid of the devil. We are overcomers. We have resources that are greater than him. And I want you to notice that we're to stand against the schemes because he is a slanderer and he's a, a, an accuser and he will do anything in his power to berate and undermine those who are aligning themselves with Christ. And that's what it's all about, is attacking with his lies in order to knock us off target, off, off focus, get us focused on our own selves, our own abilities, our lack of abilities, our own determination, and get our eyes off the one true great God who alone is able to help us, okay? Just remember, seated in Christ, we have everything we need to overcome this accuser and this attacker, and that's good news. Can we focus there? Huh? I mean, sometimes we get on these things of spiritual warfare, and the mood gets grim. Don't let the mood get grim. Christ is the victor. Huh? Yeah, you better believe it. All right. So uh, the way this is worded here suggests that we're to put the armor on and, and leave it on. So we are to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We're to put on the full armor of God 
so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Did you get that? That's where the enemy always wants to get you focusing is on your own capacities, your own abilities. The struggle isn't really there, okay? Don't let him point there. The struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So, so far we've seen that there's very real evil at work in our world. And we've seen who the uh, leader of all that is. It's Satan himself. And now we come to these positions and, and officers. We come to those who help Satan in his work. And that's what's going on here because of the way this is written. We know that God has archangels, so there's officers of angels, and it works the same way in Satan's kingdom, that he actually has officers and ranks in his kingdom, okay? Fallen angels, that's what these things are. Forces that though you can't see them, you can definitely feel and notice their effects because they're bombarding your thoughts probably every day, creating situations that, uh, that remind you again and again how desperately you need God's help. I think the great illustration of this for me is Pharaoh in ancient Egypt. <clears throat> I mean, God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh. Who is this Moses now? To go to him and say, set my people free. And Pharaoh's first response is to say, they're lazy. What is that? It's an accusation. His slaves are lazy. They want to go into the wilderness to worship God. And Pharaoh says, lazy. He's an accuser. Okay? Pharaoh, are you understanding what I'm saying, is a picture of how Satan works? You got to understand that. And so he accuses them. They want to go worship God lazy. Huh? So what does Pharaoh do? Well, the Hebrew slaves are providing the, uh, the, the grass, the straw, so that Pharaoh can make those ancient pyramids over there in Egypt. And he says, I'm no longer going to provide them with the straw they need. They've got to go get it themselves. And not only that, uh, they, they've got to still produce the same quota of bricks every day. Well, how do you do that? How do you stop getting the resources you're used to getting and still have to produce the same amount of stuff. Well, understand this. Satan is a taskmaster. Not only is he an accuser, he's a taskmaster who likes to keep people so busy with silliness and stuff defined by making bricks for Pharaoh for his big old pyramids to sit there instead of being about the things of the kingdom of God, so that we can't be about God and his kingdom, so that we cannot get his eyes on Jesus. And my goodness, in our affluence, in an American culture, we get so busy with our stuff that we forget about God. God, have mercy on our souls. He's a taskmaster and he's an accuser. Let's recognize what's going on here. Friend, you are a child of God. As a child of God, you are positionally seated with Christ. And seated with Christ, you have all the kingdom resources at your disposal to live a victorious life. You have been given authority over evil. He's given you authority to bind up the taskmaster. He's given you authority to bind up the accusations. And we're going to see how that works as we go. In Christ, God will give you all the wisdom you could ever need in every situation if you will only ask him. And in Christ, God needs you to be set free and empowered so that you can join him in his business of pushing back this darkness and seeing people being set free from the clutches of the taskmaster. Has anybody been set free today? 
Does anybody need greater liberty? Does anybody want to be a part of seeing other people set free? That's what this is about, being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So this now takes us to the armor of God. It's a metaphor based upon how a Roman soldier would prepare himself to get ready for, for battle. The idea here is being properly fitted uh, to go, go to war. Now, some might ask, does this minimize the fact that Christ was victorious on the cross? No, not at all. Because God is equipping us so that we can now participate, join with him in claiming that which he has already won. Okay? That's what's going on. And sometimes we live life acting as if the devil somehow still is winning. No, we're joining God, claiming that which he already won upon the cross. So he says in verse 13, and I, I just want to get this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore, again, put on the full armor of God. Do you think there's a reason why the word full is written there twice? A little bit of emphasis, not just a piece, but the full armor equipping us? Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and the days of evil have come, how will we respond? If there's another holocaust and people are in desperate need of help, how will we respond? Preparing for the day of evil. There are assaults on our earth. There are tribulations that have taken place. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, period. That's what it says. That word stand there is, is very interesting. It's antistemi and, and it sounds like the word antihistamine. And it works the same way. It means to push something back. Okay? But more than that, it means to vigorously oppose, bravely resist, stand your ground, and go face to face with the enemy as though you are a victor. So then verse 14, emphasis again, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now there's something very important that you need to understand that was a revelation to me uh, several years ago. And I could take a day on each piece of this armor, but I'm just going to go through it quickly today because that's what I'm led to do, okay? Every piece of this armor is truth. Every piece of this armor is righteousness because every piece of this armor is Jesus himself. And so what this is calling you to do is put on Jesus, but it's giving you pictures of how Jesus works in different areas of our lives so that we're better equipped. So it's truth in opposition to lies. All right, so do you see the battle here? Truth versus lies. Good versus evil. That's what's going on here. The Apostle Paul uh, understood this very well when he said, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of sin and death and then his praises, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because he knew he couldn't do it on his own and he knew he needed to put on Christ. Part of the revelation for me was in, in the book of Colossians where Paul talks about the incredible lengths and laws and rules that 
godly people will go to in order to win in their struggle against their flesh. And if you look at that in chapter 2, he comes to the end and he says, futility, it's not going to do anything to help you in your flesh. And then it's a shame that the chapter breaks right there because chapter 3 then points us right where we're at today and says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated on the throne and then he goes on to tell us how we need to crucify our flesh but the focus is on christ and not on our own abilities okay yeah so the belt gives the soldier greater mobility freedom how does that work well soldiers back then i mean they wore these long robes and a robe was confining so if a soldier went to war his legs didn't need anything to to encumber him he could pull that robe up tuck it in his belt, and thus he has this, this greater mobility that we're talking about. It's about freedom, okay? It's about freedom. The Bible says this. Jesus said this, in fact. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So because the enemy is coming at us with lies, what we need is the truth. Truth is freedom and mobility for the battle, and thus we have this picture of the belt of truth, all right? Giving yourself that readiness with, with, with mobility here, all right? You got it? Then it goes on, verse 14, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Jesus, our righteousness. What does the breastplate do? It covers the vital organs of the soldier, okay? In the same way that Christ covers your vital existence, which is your eternal existence, okay? It protects those vital parts so that in his righteousness, you can have security in Christ. Vital meaning those life-giving portions, and this is about your eternal existence. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Readiness that comes from the gospel. I love the wording of this, the readiness that comes. Because every athlete knows the ready, ready position, right? Posture yourself so that if, if your enemy's moving to, to, to your right, you're ready to move right. If he moves to the left, you're ready to move to the, to, to the left. If he comes straight at you, you're ready to block him. If he starts to go the other way, you're best prepared to turn around and run, okay? Shoes of the gospel of peace. Good shoes uh, provide stability and flexibility in battle. Jesus is our stability. Jesus is our flexibility. In addition, verse 16 to this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Basically, these shields were about two feet wide, four feet tall. They were made with flat edges so that soldiers could butt them up against each other. One of the strategies of war back then was as an army was approaching a fort, the people in the fort could take fiery arrows and they could shoot them straight up in the air, hundreds of them, so that they would rain down upon their opponent. Carrying this shield of faith, a soldier could take one knee. Hallelujah, do we need to take one knee sometimes, huh, before the Lord? Anybody need to take a knee sometimes? Yeah, and you, you lean this, this shield back and you're protected, plus you've got your buddy next to you, you guys are buttoned up against each other, you've created a literal wall against flaming arrows. Well, 
if you haven't heard me say it today, the devil is shooting arrows of lies, arrows of accusations, coming up with all sorts of things that play, little records that play in your brain, reminding you that, that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, that there's always going to be somebody else coming up behind to take your position when people really see what you are. Things like if people really knew who you were, there's no way on earth they could ever like you. Lies, 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 lies. But we need to re be reminded that this isn't about how good you are, but this is about how great Christ is. Amen? Yeah, you better believe it. Better believe it. May Christ be glorified. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. Christ is our salvation, covering the cranium, covering the brain. What's the brain? The mind. Because we get bombarded by these thoughts, we need to wear the helmet of salvation. Boy, are we hearing this theme again and again. There really aren't that many weapons in war. His lies. Is getting us busy doing the wrong things so we're not about the right things. Simple artillery. We're given the right equipment to go against it. Take the helmet of salvation. Then, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, many teach that the sword of the Spirit is our only offensive weapon, and it's true that the sword is an offensive weapon, but it's also a defensive weapon as well, okay? All of these things being used to come against the lies. Uh, last week, sharing with you the quote from our friend Todd Burpo, you know, when he was being interviewed on a radio station in Spain. And he was asked the question, in your opinion, will Muslims, Buddhists, and other religions make it into heaven? And Todd said to them, my opinion doesn't matter. But what God has said is that Jesus has provided a way. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. After that interview, the, the DJ who was talking to him pulled him aside and he said, thank you for standing for what you believe. Okay? So the truth, we don't need to have all the answers. We just need to know the answer. Amen? So he goes on and he says, and pray in the Spirit, panuma, the very breath of God. And friends, we've got to grapple with this whole expression of praying in the Spirit. I mean, the way it's articulated in 1 Corinthians 14, where it tells us that we are to pray in the Spirit and pray with understanding, that there's a distinction between our having mental knowledge on how to pray and then God understanding better how to pray and wanting His breath to work through us in prayer so that we're joining Him in this business. And we need to seek God as to what does that mean, Lord, to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the saints. I find it interesting here because I started writing this week and I want to say, wow, prayer is truly a weapon. But as I meditated on it, I had to come to the conclusion that no, prayer isn't a weapon, but prayer is the means for which we uh, prepare for war. Indeed, it is the very act of war that we are engaged in. Did you hear that? I'm saying that prayer is the battle. And I'm saying that our part in the kingdom is that we advance the kingdom when we pray and every piece of this armor is something that we should wear as we're going to God in prayer. 
So when Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, he's actually asking us to believe in praying for the advancement of the kingdom. That's what this is talking about. And this is why I'm calling us to a week of prayer and fasting. We can look at the madness in the world, and we could come up with all kinds of rules and call all kinds of things evil, or we could simply do what God said to do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and heal their land, and cure their diseases. Church, come with me in battle. Join us in this week of prayer. You know, when my kids were small, oftentimes, most days, in fact, before they were driving, it was my job to take them to school, and, and I enjoyed that very much. Uh, but on the way, we would always put on the armor of God, I love doing this. We put it on a different order because I always tried to imagine the soldier getting dressed. And if, and if I were getting dressed, I think I'd put the breastplate of righteousness on first. And then I'd take up the belt of truth. And this is what we're doing in the car, <laughs> putting on the belt of truth. Then we get the shoes of the gospel of peace, put them on. So now our vital organs are covered. We've got truth here that gives us mobility for the battle. Our feet give us that stability and also give us some mobility to be in ready, ready position. We still need our hands. So at this point, we take up the helmet of the salvation and we put that on. Then we take the shield of faith so that we're ready for those flaming arrows and then pick up the sword of the spirit and we're ready to go to battle. And then I would pray over my kids. I'm so glad that, that we did this. But it's important that we understand. And one thing I haven't talked about is this very important thing about this battle. And you've got to get this. How are you doing? You look beautiful. Equipping you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. Yeah. Preparing you for battle. It's a good thing. Life is a battlefield. You've got to be ready. But every piece of armor is only designed to protect your front side. Did you hear what I said? Every piece of armor is only designed to protect your front side. If you turn around and run, you're not covered. And there's a very real reason for this, and the reason is that God's kingdom is advancing. God's kingdom is, is advancing, and if you're turning around and running the other way, you're not moving where God is moving, and God's not going to have you covered there. When the 12 spies went to check out the promised land, 10 of them could only see giants, but two of them could only see God. Two wanted to go in, 10 didn't. 10 convinced the people to go a different direction from God, and they ended up suffering for it. The armor is only designed to help you when you're moving with God. And that makes Ephesians 5.18 more valuable. And you keep hearing me come back to Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, which leads to excess. Wine. It's that word, meth. Meth. Methe. That's the Greek word. 
it's not about wine. It's about intoxicants, and it's about using some other spirit to help you to escape your giants and your battles. And when you do that, you're turning around and you're running the other direction and your backside isn't covered. God wants you to face your giants. So he tells you, don't get drunk with wine because it's only going to lead to excessive behavior. In other words, it's not going to take care of the problem. But instead, be being filled with the Holy Spirit who is the enabler and the empower to help you go forth in great victory. And the other thing to notice is, did you notice how much of the armor is in defense and offense against the lies of the enemy? All built on truth and all built on Jesus. What lies is Satan been telling you? What are the messages you've been hearing? Hypocrite. Bad parent. Worthless. Brainless. Inadequate. Good for nothing. What message has Satan been telling you? And you hear the word of God. You are a child of God. Someone told me recently... I was sharing with them my struggle recently of realizing that um, in rejecting my family, I was rejecting myself. And I came to this place, and I'm, and I'm working through this this year, that I don't like me, a lie of Satan. And he gave me this quote. He said, somebody taught him to pump himself with, with this, I'm smart enough, I'm strong enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> it's great. But it's the wrong armor. Because I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. There's a lot of people who don't like me. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but God, he's wise enough. God, he's smart enough, and doggone it, he really loves me. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you that you've shown us the battle that we're in, and that the enemy's attacking us with lies, with accusations. He's putting us in positions of madness and dizziness so that we can't get our eyes on you. Lord, today we confess, I confess, that we've been listening to him too much and giving him too much voice. And so today, Lord, by faith, we take up the breastplate of righteousness. We put on the belt of truth. Lord, today our feet are properly fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace. We put on the helmet of salvation, take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. Even when they come to us from people we think care about us, we take up that shield against them to extinguish them. And then we take up the sword of the Spirit 
which is your very name. Father, you know where your people are this morning. Minister to them at their point of need. Hear their repentant hearts and strengthen them for the battle. Strengthen them for the battle. Just consider these things for a moment.